Let us pray. God of glory, sanctify our minds, our imaginations, and our hearts, that we would see and hear you well. Amen. Well, I think I have whiplash because for the last three weeks, the lectionary has had us in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, portions of the Sermon on the Mount. And now we skip ahead 12 chapters, missing most of Jesus' life, to find ourselves on the Mount of Transfiguration along with Peter, James, and John. And I love the Transfiguration, but it needs some context to make much sense. So let me just give us a little. Here's what we missed. We missed lots of miracles, lots of healing miracles, some feeding miracles, walking on water. We missed a lot of teaching. And we missed watching Jesus increasingly butt heads with the religious authorities, sometimes deliberately provoking them while gathering great popular support. In chapter 16, the chapter before the transfiguration, we come to a turning point. When Jesus says to his closest friends, to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks those now famous words, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and that's huge. And Jesus receives it. And he says, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And now I want us to use our sanctified imaginations for a moment. And imagine that you're one of the 11 watching Peter and Jesus have this exchange. How does this make you feel? And what I want you to do is shout out one-word answers. How does this make you feel? I'm overcome with a noise. I think someone said, what? Excited. I heard something else. Surprised. Jealous. Jealous of Peter? Doubtful, okay. I also thought maybe expectant or included, like, whoa, we heard this revelation. Well, everything goes downhill now. <laughs> because Jesus starts talking about suffering and death and resurrection. And not plans for storming Jerusalem and overthrowing the Romans and setting Jesus on the throne like, you know, the next king like David. I mean, this business of going to Jerusalem to suffer and die, I mean, that is nobody's plan, or at least none of their plans. And Peter uh, rebukes Jesus. In colloquially, what he says is, are you crazy? I mean, are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? I mean, what's going to happen to them? And this movement they're part of if Jesus dies. And have they just wasted the last three years of their lives when they could be back home fishing and earning an income? Well, 
Jesus whips around and speaks some of the harshest words we find in the New Testament to his dear friend, Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And why this harsh reaction? Well, I think it's, I mean, this is just me guessing, but I think it's because what Peter's proposing is so attractive to Jesus. I mean, a throne would be a lot more fun than a cross, and Jesus needs to shut down that conversation. And then things get even worse, because then Jesus starts talking about how his followers are also going to take up their crosses and lay down their lives. Now, you're a disciple. Now, how do you feel? More one would answers and shout loudly because my hearing's not what it used to be. Worried? Disillusioned? Afraid? Angry? Out of here. <laughs> Out of here. That's good, though. Um, it confused, maybe. Scared. Resistant. Now I want you to switch hats and imagine that you're Jesus. I know that's a stretch for all of us, but you're Jesus. How are you feeling? One word answers. Challenged. Disappointed. Tired. Oh, yes. Maybe misunderstood. Lonely. What? Frustrated? Yeah, they really don't get it. They give me so much hope because they have so much trouble getting it. Well, six days of stewing ensue. Six days for the disciples to ponder this, to probably try to change Jesus' mind. And then Jesus invites his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up onto the mountainside where they see something that far surpasses all the other amazing things they've been seeing for the last three years. They see Jesus transfigured. And Matthew describes it this way, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Somewhat reminiscent of Moses with his shining face when he comes down off Mount Sinai, but even better. But, you know, there's not much time to ponder this. When a Moses and Moses and Elijah, both uh, long dead, show up and have a conversation with Jesus. And who, of course, are Moses and Elijah? I think our hymn told us Moses is the law, the great lawgiver. Elijah, the prophets, the first of the prophets. What are they talking about? Matthew doesn't tell us, but Luke, in his account, says they spoke to Jesus about his departure, literally his exodus, which he would bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So they're talking to him about what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. And my, did Jesus need this? Because for the last six days, his closest friends have been trying to dissuade him from doing the extremely difficult thing, which he understands to be his calling, but Moses and Elijah show up and cheer him on. 
And Peter makes a proposal. And I don't know if it's just so we don't have to leave the mountain and actually go to Jerusalem, but he says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But, you know, before any construction can begin, a bright cloud envelops them all and they hear the voice of God. And in the Hebrew scriptures, and especially in the Moses narratives, God often communicates God's presence through a cloud. And the voice from heaven speaks. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And I am tempted to hear this last phrase as, shut up and listen to him. Something for everybody here. For Jesus, of course, these are words very reminiscent of those spoken at his baptism when he embraced his calling. And something for Peter, James, and John, who have not been listening but resisting. They want to do this their way, which is a bedrock natural disposition for all of us. I learned an interesting thing this week. Well, probably more than one, but this is the one I'm going to tell you about. Did you know that in the UK, the most popular song sung at funerals is My Way, popularized by Frank Sinatra back in the late 1960s? And it is so popular in the Philippines in karaoke bars that it is believed to have led to several deaths as people have argued about how to sing it. And what is the first verse? And I am going to spare you hearing me sing this. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And much, much more than that, I did it my way. I did it my way. The way we all live our lives apart from the grace of God, which calls us to something bigger and considerably more difficult. The Transfiguration, this text I love so much, is not a practical text. Nobody is healed and nobody is fed. There's, we're not exhorted to justice or mercy. It's a theological text, a text which reveals something of the glory of God in Jesus a text which shows us something of Jesus' humanity, his longing for reassurance at an extremely difficult point in his life. And the text which shows us something of the tender, compassionate heart of God. And more threateningly, <laughs> a text which calls all his disciples to shut up and listen to Jesus, to embrace the countercultural, other-focused life he calls us to. Well, Lent begins this week on Wednesday. And Lent is traditionally a time when Christians of many different stripes do something intentional, either to deepen your relationship with God or to go about the work of God in some new or deeper way, to do some interior work. For instance, I have a friend who one year for Lent gave up judging other people. Not that she managed to not do it, but she sure became aware of it. 
Um, and it might be another sort of thing that raises your awareness. Melissa talked last week about her friend who carried around all her non-biodegradable trash during Lent. If the Holy Spirit has stirred something in you this morning about not insisting on your own way, well, perhaps there's a practice you could adopt that would help you grow in reliance on God uh, rather than yourself. <laughs>